Welcome to The Launch, the podcast sponsored by Tandem Launch, where we talk about tech, startups, entrepreneurship, and everything in between. We give you the inside scoop on building a startup, capital fundraising, the entrepreneurial journey, with both funny and impactful stories. This podcast is for budding entrepreneurs, ecosystem players, industry folks, venture capitalists looking for deals, students considering a career in the startup world, or anyone with a curiosity in Deepak. If you have a research background in tech and always wanted to build your own startup, then check out our website, www.tanumlaunch.com, or hit us up on LinkedIn. Let's build the future together. And now, on the show. Okay, welcome everyone to another episode of The Launch. Today, I'm totally pumped because we have two guests. So it's my pleasure to introduce fellow Brainiacs, Naeem Komilipour, co-founder of AVA, and uh, Yanakwa, who is the co-founder of Neurotech X. So welcome to you both. Hi, Bobby. Hello, Bobby. So let's start with some basic get to know yous. So starting with Naeem, tell us a bit about your role at AVA and um, what is AVA all about? Sure. So I'm the technical co-founder of AVA and uh, I lead a group of really brilliant engineers and scientists uh, with different expertise, neural engineering, machine learning, embedded system, acoustic engineering, and so on. So together we are building the first of its kind listening device that in a noisy environment understands and enhances what sounds people are trying to pay attention to, to be able to enhance those sounds and suppress the distracting noise through monitoring people's brain and biosignals. By doing so, we are solving one of the biggest and thus extremely challenging problems of hearing assistant devices. So the problem is called actually cocktail party problem. So here it is work by boosting the volume of the sounds in the atmosphere. So helping people to hear more effectively in many situations. But the devices aren't perfect at all, the, the conventional devices that, that are out there. So sometimes they could be even annoying to the point that the users stop using them, especially in noisy environments. My grandfather was one of the user of hearing aids. I remember that he would stop using them when me and my cousins were playing around. So what we are doing, we are actually solving this problem by understanding any environment where is the attentional focus of the user? When we understand that, we enhance the desired sounds and suppress the distracting noise. Actually, although we started off by providing solutions only for the hearing aid industry, now we know that the, the market is far-reaching. So uh, we, we have received lots of interest from different vertical industries, so from virtual reality, from variables, from automated and even education industry. So we are trying to provide solutions for all these vertical. Wow. I mean, that sounds like a lot of people can really benefit from that. Yeah. Amazing. Absolutely. So excellent. Well then, so you're up, Yannick, tell us a bit about your gig and the mission of Neurotech X. Yes. So, well, my name is Yannick Roy. I'm the co-founder of Neurotech X, which is a non-for-profit organization. It's the largest neurotech community around the world. Co-founded in 2015, the mission of the organization is to help facilitate the advancement of neurotechnology. It's a broad and ambitious mission. We, uh, we established three different pillars. The first one being community. So we want to bring people together at a local scale, but international scale. Want two people to be, to be connected, know who's doing what. And then the second pillar is education. 
education, want to provide different resources, different uh, knowledge, know-how, whether it's technical, scientific, business, ethical. We really go about 360 degrees, more hands-on with workshops, tutorials, uh, some lectures, discussions, these kinds of things. And the third one is uh, professional development and innovation. So we believe that by bringing people together, providing the knowledge, know-how and educational tools, then they can go on and have an impact in the field, Uh, whether it's by joining companies, starting one, tackling the challenges that uh, needs to be solved in the field, but really have an impact. If we're successful of doing that at scale, then we believe that over a couple of years and we already start seeing ROI and the impact we've had uh, because we've been at it for for five years now that we will have have a positive impact in the field when we when we look back. So we live in an amazing time in the street. I think that uh, we're all excited about the neurotech future. It's very hard to tell where it's going to go, um, but it's definitely exciting to uh, start anticipating the impact that it's going to have uh, on human. And we are in a very good position right now to start shaping that future, not just reading books and sci-fi about it, but being active part of it and making sure that we shape it the right way. So that's the mission of Neurotech X. We currently have over 30 chapters in different cities around the world. Uh, we have a chapter in Australia, India, Moscow, uh, Montreal, London, New York. So uh, we're all over the world. N- nothing yet in Africa. Uh, that's uh, maybe our challenge in uh, 2021 to reach uh, the, the last continent. But uh, it's definitely been an amazing journey to see everybody around the world talking about Neurotech, the future. We uh, put together also a diversity committee last year to try to be more inclusive, try to translate more material to really bring everybody from all parts of the world to the discussion around the Neurotech. Love it. Yes, it is an incredible time in history right now. So then uh, let's jump right in and talk about hearables. So we hear a lot about wearables, but how are hearables making a splash on the scene and what cool things are happening there? The things that are happening in hearable market is very, they're very actually exciting. So there are three movements that are happening in hearables. So first of all, let's define what is hearable for people who, who don't know what's a hearable. So a hearable is any ear level device. So it could be in ear, around the ear, or headphones that are designed to enhance listening experience. So they could actually include features such as monitoring vital signs, activity tracking, but their their mission is to enhance conversation. So, and sometimes they can even translate language in real time. So there are, as I mentioned, there are three important movements that are happening right now. And it seems that all of these movements are converging to one another. So the first one, it's come from the hearing aid companies. It's the old industry. So they are beginning, the hearing aid companies, they are beginning to realize that users want a device that does just uh, more than just amplifying sounds. So users want to sync with their cell phones. They want to be able to answer their phone calls, listen to their favorite music, and many more functions. So that's why you see in the last couple of years, really, the major players in the hearing aid industry uh, Sonova, Starkey, and Oticon, they have released products that allow users to stream conversation, music, phone calls, and directly from their cell phone. So the second movement that also is very important, it comes from the consumer electronic companies. So mostly headphone, earbud manufacturer. So they have started realizing the potential of, we call it bionic earbuds, that uh, you know, that's uh, apart from being able to uh, stream music with them, they can measure different biometric and most importantly, they can enhance and amplify sounds. For instance, you can see Apple, Bose, Sony, and some other giants becoming a major uh, player uh, 
of this movement actually. The third and the most important movement to me and to our to our uh, product, especially uh, for the US market, is the emergence of the over-the-counter hearing aids. So these over-the-counter hearing aids are a new uh, category of hearing aids that in order to buy them, uh, consumers do not need to go and visit health professionals. So this was uh, the over-the-counter hearing aid act was a law passed by a US Congress in 2017, allows users with mild to moderate hearing loss to access the device without being seen by any healthcare professionals. So because of these three parallel but interconnected movements, you see a surge in the hearing aid or hearable or audio industry as a whole. So companies are trying to find you know, innovative solutions so that they can differentiate themselves and they could increase their adaptation. So what at all of what we are doing, we are combining the best of all these three worlds. We are creating a solution, as I described, that could be integral to the expansion of all these markets. So that's why we think we can position ourselves very easily any place between these three moves. And aside from the regulation, the law that you just mentioned, what else? So is it just kind of like a slow trend or what was not possible like five years ago? Because the so, other things that you mentioned was there. Yeah, so that's a great question. So let's not forget also the, the power of supercomputing. So uh, the Moore's law, every two years, computers double their computing power. So these are the things that actually now allow us to, for example, to be able to process the sounds in real time and deliver it back. So these are this is another important factor that is happening. Other factors is because people realize that in order for you to buy a device and works in terms of like hearing assistant device, you don't need your doctor to tell you that this device works. If you just wear that device and you hear better, no one can tell you don't wear that. So ordinary people realize that they can use these devices to hear better. So the noise suppression, so both started with the noise suppression headphones. So that was a revolution in the whole industry. So people realize why shouldn't we start actually building conversation enhancement headphones? And when you build the conversation enhancement headphones, you get closer to the hearing aids actually industry. And that's where all these distinctions become blurred and people realize from the from one side hearing aid companies realize that they have they have to merge toward uh, producing products that you know give uh, more services to the users so users can you know can actually connect to their cell phones and uh, stream even music answer phone calls so as i mentioned there are like series of cause and effect that led to the emergence of this hearable, uh, let's say, uh, wave right now, what we are seeing. All the the consumer electronic big players in the consumer electronic market, Samsung, Sony, uh, Apple, you name it, Google, they're all working on uh, providing a solution that could be used as a consumer electronics, but at the same time could be used for conversation enhancement purposes. And and is it mainly kind of like an audio problem and challenge or the biosignal so are, are other players exploring the biosignals aspect as well or is that just kind of yes so they are actually they're they're investigating so as i mentioned they're trying to uh, they're trying to extract different biometrics from the hearables so but in terms of being able to you know being able to monitor the brain activity there are activities so hearing aids you can see from the patents that are actually filing for so many years even the consumer electronic companies they are investigating this space but no one has come to the conclusion that 
the technology is ready enough to be implemented in device, but they are trying. So they are they are hiring neuroscientists, they are hiring you know uh, machine learning engineers to work in this specific problem, not not with the same value proposition that we have, but monitoring different things. So I know, for example, Bose Health is monitoring. Uh, so they are trying to incorporate neurotechnology into their device, apparently uh, to monitor sleep or so. So they are investigating, but no one has come with a solution that could be implemented in the device, right? I think this is a good time to bring up ethics. So, you know, neurotechnologies tend to be on the disruptive side of things. And sometimes there's a bit of a backlash. I mean, especially if if we're reading brain signals and biometrics, you know, there there's some, I guess, well, there's limitations to it, or should there be more limitations to it? And what, you know, you know, when you talk about big companies getting access to that type of information, that's a bit scary for people, like, how are they going to use that? So, yeah, like, what are your thoughts about ethical implications and maybe how about how that interacts with market adoption? Yeah, that's obviously a big question. Uh, we can <laughs> talk about uh, about neuroethics, well, ethics in general, and now more specifically to um, uh, disruptive technologies and then neurotechnology uh, even more precisely. And we can talk about that for hours. But it's definitely an interesting trend hearing from different companies with NeurotechX. Obviously, we do a lot of events. We, do a lot of, we have a lot of discussions with all the companies, with the public. A lot of people are reaching out to us, writing us about concerns that they have. And we hear, yeah, very different, very different stories. But looking at the trends, it's definitely interesting because it feels like it's too early, but not too early at the same point that we need to start doing framework, but we're not too sure what it exactly meant, means and how it's going to be enforced. So it's more of a culture than an actual kind of like real framework at this point, I, I kind of feel. And big companies feel like they should, and but they don't feel that they have necessarily the, nor, nor the resources, nor that they should be the only responsible carrying the neuroethics. So it's definitely a very active discussion. If we look at other fields, and then we can go back to how is neuroethics different than ethics in general in other fields. But definitely with market adoption, what we what we what we can think about is that people are obviously more and more concerned about ethics, privacy, their life. That goes obviously to a wider discussion. Some people like myself are more comfortable of giving away a lot of data. Uh, my cell phone is tracking me. Uh, Google, Amazon, like I, I'm I'm being tracked by by all the giants. Not necessarily too concerned. Yes, I would I, I would I would like to have a bit more privacy. But we live in an era where privacy is is becoming more of a luxury than kind of a right to some extent. So it's definitely interesting. Uh, and obviously we can have this discussion will evolve over the, the, the coming years as we're more and more aware of that and that we're surrounded by technology 24-7. But what the market has told us in the past is when you try to make a new disruptive technology, like Google Glass was a good example of that, where it's a new framework and you don't necessarily provide the value first, but you provide the fear or the downside that such technology can have first before proving the value, there tends to be a backlash and a pushback from, from people being more concerned. Uh, but when you do it the other way around, where you provide value like Amazon, Google Map, uh, where you use the service, and then you realize that, wait a minute, I'm being tracked and I'm giving away so much data. But once you start using the service and you really appreciate it, then you're more likely to say, okay, I'll give you data. Like Amazon, I love the recommendation that I'm getting from Amazon. Mm -hmm. 
uh, in exchange of all I'm buying and all my, uh, my patterns, my habits. So I think that one thing to keep in mind for market adoption is really showing value first, then addressing concern to some extent after and not the, the opposite because for people are more and more concerned. So it's going to be an interesting challenge of how do you mitigate and how much in advance can you actually address the, the aspect of uh, privacy, uh, what people are willing to give away, what they are not willing to give away. So back back to names feel a bit more on hearable. What do you think is one of the biggest concern of people being tracked with such a device uh, on a like daily basis, for example? What what, what kind of pushback? That's, that's, that's a great question. But uh, you know, uh, I would like actually to take some step back. If you do, guys, don't mind. I want to actually start make a point about the disruptive nature of neurotechnology by putting it into, but rather philosophical or rather historical perspective. So let's step back and see what's what's happening right now in terms of the disruptive na- nature of neurotechnology, and then I get back to the hero. So if you imagine from the earliest times of human beings, so when we started creating the real algorithms, uh, and then we moved into computers, robots, nanotechnology, AI, and more. So now we are at the age that we have all these technologies that are working beautifully for us. The time that we are turning this process inside out, uh, I mean, it had been started a couple of decades ago, but we're using this cutting-edge technology to transform our brains and extend you know, our capabilities as, as a human overall. So some people, some thinkers think that this is the beginning of a new era. Uh, that of a neural technology. I don't think that's the beginning of that. I think it's already asserted. But what's the reason for that? So the society throughout the history, it marks history in terms of big technological milestones. So we have had Stone Age, Bronze Age, Iron Age, Industrial Revolution, then moving to digital and information era where we are. So all of these ages have radically transformed our lives as a human. So some thinkers, less futurists or transhumanists, They think that we are approaching in the turning point in the history of mankind as the line between the human and machines become increasingly blurred. So, for instance, some believe that when the use of BCIs become a common practice among humans, meaning that you would you would wear a consumer electronic device with a neural interface that actually works and provides solutions then that might be the beginning of this new era. But the fact is neural technology has already been uh, around. So so many people are already using neural technology, people with co- cochlear implants. So it's a device that substitutes the damaged part of the ear, provides hearing for more than uh, 400,000 people worldwide, deep brain stimulations. So used for, uh, you know, for conditions such as Parkinson's disease, uh, dystonia, tremor. So they, they have been around for, for, uh, for some years now. So what's absolutely critical to remember is that we are already a transhuman. We are a cyborg. So many of us, we just haven't realized that our cell phone, so we have heard probably some other people mentioning that. So our cell phone is an extension of our mind, our memories. We don't need to memorize our friend's phone number or daily calendar, or we don't need to remember our daily calendar. There are so many things that we don't need to remember anymore. So because we have them in our phones. So we are already a cyborg. So getting back to the, to the discussion of 
the why now is the time we have to think about the ethical challenges of neural technology is that I strongly believe that when the widespread use of neural technology, like now it is unimaginable or it sounds like science fiction, what people are discussing about neural technology as of today, it seems like a science fiction. As moon landing computers and internet were a few decades ago. So it's the same discussion. But very soon, neural technology will be used, the usage will be widespread and that day we can, I think, it's not the beginning of a new era, but we could actually consider the neural technology as a part of our ever-expanding toolkit of uh, capabilities. Having said that, this brings up lots of opportunities. They are immersed and unprecedented and the challenges. Now, getting back to the ethical concerns, so disruptive technologies always uh, throughout the history, they solve problems, create wealth, new employment. At the same time, they create new problems and challenges. So neurotechnology as a disruptive innovation is not an exception. So you would you would be surprised, as uh, Yannick just mentioned, there is already a field called neuroethics, which deals with this ethical legal and even social impact of neuroscience research as a whole. So the emergence of the widespread neurotechnology has already raised ethical concerns in the community over issues such as privacy, autonomy, human rights, equality of access. We hope that these uh, concerns result in constructing responsible regula regulations around these technologies. So we need to make sure that the BCI companies, whether they're startup like us or they're giants, have a strong ethical and ideological back. And getting back to the questions of hearing aids or you know hearables uh, monitoring the brain activity. So the the thing is that we are, although we are very small, but we are very concerned about this ethical issues right now. And there's not so much we could do actually with that data. So for instance, we don't want one thing that we are already discussing is that we don't want to integrate this data with other private data of the users. So the social media, this data would be used specifically to build personalized model for that specific use. So, and if we want to use this data to make a generalized model uh, for the, you know, for users, that data would be added without containing any personal information from that user. So these are already our concerns as a startup. And I think so many other uh, companies are, start realizing that this is serious and we have to be actually, we have to think about responsible regulations around this technology. I think uh, Jared Diamond needs to do another edition of his book, you know, Guns, Germs, Steel, and Algorithms, to cover, yes, this new era that we're living in. Just as a side note, I'm very pro-cyborg, and I love human enhanced performance enhancement, but maybe it's a topic for another day. So, Yannick, what do you think is the actual addressable market here in terms of neurotech products or inventions? And how are funders or venture capitalists like reacting to all of this? Yeah, that's a very, very interesting question. D definitely, there's a more capital, more attention uh, in the field than ever before. So if we look in history, like we've been doing neurotech stuff for, for many years now with uh, Medtronics and deep brain simulation. And so the field is definitely not new per se. However, the wide spread of neurotechnology that we can anticipate is definitely driving many forces. What happened in terms of the research sector in 2013, the, the US under Obama administration, they launched uh, the brain initiative so big 10 years project obviously will be will be extended will continue but at that time when they launch it uh, the idea was let's let's set ourselves for like a big massive project like the human genome project which yield a big ROI 
it was very positive as a, as a project. So they wanted to do the same thing with the brain. It's the last big challenge that, that, that we have and that's unsolved and that, that will uh, help us in so many ways from just brain disease, aging that we're facing, enhancement on just so many levels that it, it, it just makes sense to go after the brain. We all have one and it's driving <laughs> everything we're doing. So why keep that black box a black box? So the idea was to launch this ambitious project. In Europe, we saw the same thing, the human brain project, kind of like the same. And they all have different angles. Some of them are a bit more about the tools. Some some of the, these projects are a bit more about the cognitive aspect. Some of them about the different neural mechanism and the attraction of the different uh, processes in the brain. So they all have a little different twist, but the US started their big, uh, their big project, a lot of money, then the Europe, and then all most of the other countries, China launched one and all the other Japan, Korea. So now most of the countries have their kind of like big brain project to some extent to drive neuroscience and neurotechnology innovation, trying to understand the brain. So when you put all of that money, all of that effort, and the fact that we're connected more than ever before with internet, and now with COVID, we see the power of being connected and having Zoom and all these meetings where we can be anywhere in the world now and we can still work together. So we're still, we're working collaboratively in Montreal, but we're over the internet. So it doesn't change much things if we're all in Montreal or anywhere in the world, really. So all these things combined did that a lot more innovation happened in the after that and the advancement of technologies uh, as Naim mentioned the, uh, the the computing power for anything AI machine learning related signal processing a lot of improvement on that side if we look at consumer technologies uh, thanks to the cell phone uh, adoption everything is cheaper faster better smaller so that impact a lot the uh, the field of, neuro- of neurotechnology obviously so when you put all of that there is definitely more innovation and more things now that started in 2013 as a research and fundamental, let's put the foundation of understanding the brain. So what that means is that the innovation and the market, you don't see that one or two years after that, because obviously the program started started in 2013. That means that they're receiving application for funding. You start getting funded in 2014 or 15, and then you start the project. You start, you, you start putting the things, you do discovery, you publish. And then after that, you probably patent things. And you have kind of like a few years before people hear, like people, uh, general public actually hear about about mm-hmm. all these uh, all these different steps. So now we're at that time where we start seeing kind of like the first wave of that of that massive investment where it's been it's been researched, uh, the results has been published, innovation, it's been patented and now it's bringing to market. And there was a bit more money than before to commercializing these uh, like neurotechnology. DARPA is a big driving force. So DARPA now just not just only fund and DARPA obviously is the military aspect. Uh, so we'll see if, if it's a good bet or a bad bet for well, I mean, that's how the internet came about, uh, right? So exactly. Like yeah. they've been contributing to so many awesome things that we all that changed our lives forever. Yeah. So it's a good thing or a bad thing. It's hard to tell at this point. I think it's going to be both, but any innovation, any technology can be used. The technology itself is not inherently good or bad. It's the, the way we use it. So fire is good and bad and pretty much anything that we use or we know as uh, innovation internet is good and bad. So neurotechnology is not going to be different. So DARPA is also, and there is kind of like this idea of we help de-risk the innovation, the research, the fundamental aspect in research labs, but we also fund companies now. So they help bring that to market because what they realize is that they put a lot of money in research and then there's this valley of death 
where mm-hmm. nobody's actually ha- able to leave the lab and bring it to market long enough because it's complicated, requires a lot of capital, and not everybody is is able to anticipate the ROI, the investment, when's going to be positive. It doesn't fit necessarily with many roadmaps with the VC, like the Silicon Valley, kind of like quick VC in a few years. Let's get a 10x return. Let's get an acquisition, Series A, Series B, then you exit or something like that. So Neurotech is definitely very different as a model, but we're seeing more interest. Now, in, so that was 2013. We start seeing uh, innovation, the first wave to market. 2017 comes uh, comes in our calendar. 2017 is the big year of big announcement. Facebook and Elon Musk both put their flag on the ground, saying that Neurotech is a thing that they both want to invest a lot of money and be part of that future. So they both announced their big venture. So that obviously was the big headlines in the film in 2017. Facebook did a big a bit more noise disruptive, good and bad in the sense that what they announced was uh, during their F8 summit, they announced that they would, in VR, you would be able to type uh, 100 words per minute, which the state of the art at that time was like 8, 12 words per minute invasively. So you get a brain implant invasively, and then you can write uh, like roughly 10 words a minute, let's say. And then Facebook goes on stage, not invasively in VR, you'll be able to type uh, 100 words a minute. So obviously the public was was like, oh my God, this is is the next big thing. It's going to happen. And they promised like a two years horizon. The scientific community, when they received that news, everybody was like, what the heck? Like, that's not, no way that that's happening. So luckily one or two, the year after that, 20, 2018, I'm just going to fast track the history because I could go long, long about the history, but I think it's a very interesting one. So 2018, they show up at the BCI Society in Esalomar, which is the biggest conference in the field. Uh, all the researchers in the BCI field goes there. It's, uh, it used to be happening every three years. So it was kind of like that big conference every three years. So you don't miss it. Now it's happening every two years. COVID changed the, the things a little bit for 2020. But in 2018, Facebook sh- showed up at the conference and they explained now their 10 years vision that they would invest a lot of money. And they explained kind of like their, their, their master plan to invest a lot of money to de-risk, invest in research, also in commercialization. So it was really well received. So now with big and Elon Musk kind of like recently did big announcement as well. And the scientific community definitely sees all of these big news as a positive thing, just for the influx of capital in the field. The fact that, for example, Facebook last year, acquired Control Lab, 2019 actually, acquired Control Lab for uh, undisclosed amount, but between half a billion dollar to up to a billion dollar. So that's definitely big capital and for smaller neurotech startup. So we're seeing definitely more of activity acquisition, definitely. the In the neurotech space as well, if you look at digital therapeutics, so which is a new field, uh, Akili got the, the first ever FDA approved video game therapy. So you can guess pres- prescribed. So you go in, if you're ADHD, uh, the prescription won't be to get Adderall or any pills, but play video games on your iPad. So obviously that's game changer. The big pharma are starting to look. So all the big pharmas, we know that they all have their VC arm inside to do investment, do acquisition. And now they're starting to look at the neurotech field at the digital therapeutic. So more science, more enthusiasm, more money, more awareness. But as any other field, we're victim of the hype cycle and the Gardner cycle, if we're all familiar with the with the curve. So it's hard to tell exactly where we are right now. But if we just compare that with any other innovation, unfortunately, the problem right now is that we live in a world where we want everything now, like tomorrow. And we overhyped ourselves in believing that we can make that happen. Yeah. However, yes, like technology is hard and the brain is the most complicated things we know of. So it's not going to happen tomorrow that uh, will crack the, the mystery. So if we look just at VR, for example, it was supposed to be the 
year of VR in 2014 and 2015 yeah. and 2016 and 2017? And how many friends do you do you have that spend more than one hour a day in VR? Probably none or one. So it's diff- it's not there. It's coming. We all know that it's coming. VR, AR, it's going to be very disruptive. But these things take a lot of time. So it's important to be realistic in our expectations. We laid a foundation. We put more money, more people. But we need to be in our assessment of the situation. We need to have a longer horizon. So for investor, what that means is that they, they need to be a bit more patient. The funds themselves need to have a bigger horizon so that they, they don't have like a short time where mm-hmm. uh, they need to force Neurotech to either do something that won't yield value, kind of like a small gimmick to try to get attention and exit with technology that will be shelf later because it's not working. So we have to uh, yeah make ourselves more aware in the, the horizon that these kind of technology takes and where we are in the in this in this uh, hype cycle. Yeah, I love that that you're bringing it down to realistic. Just add a few few comments. Uh, completely agree with, with uh, Yannick. So the, investing in neurotechnology is not actually new. What's new and what's actually uh, uh, changes the face of this industry radically is the increasing scale of private sector investment in this field. So now we have, like, if you look into Crunchbase, you have around 400 privately backed BCI startup worldwide right now. So that that's that's amazing. So big investments are happening of course in north america particularly in us and the reason why as again yannick was mentioning recent mergers and acquisition in bci have actually turned the angel investors and venture capitalists eyes toward this this market and uh, so uh, giving you some numbers uh, so elon musk 158 million so and uh, that's before he was the richest man on the planet so now that might be a positive thing that other stocks are skyrocketing and making him the richest man then we have the the, we have the colonel brian johnson another entrepreneur 107 or more million dollars have invested in the company called colonel and then facebook acquiring uh, bci startups so I guess these numbers all show that there's a bit of interest in the BCI market, but what all these investments are doing, pouring into the neurotechnology as never seen before, resulting in the acceleration of the innovation in this field, leading to a smaller, more powerful, and more usable neural interfaces. So this is also hugely thanks to the, again, to the exponential growth in uh, processing power of computer chips. But again, that's right now that private sector, AVA is a good example. So that we actually got funded from Tandem Launch. So previously, venture capitalists were a bit hesitant to invest in health-related startups, although we are not health-related directly, but these are the new movement that's happening right now. Yeah, I mean, it's it's great that you bring up Tandem Launch just for a second, because they are, we do swim in that, you know, valley of death. I mean, that's our, that's where we're at. And yeah, we're, we're rather alone there. There is a gap. So more early, early stage funding is definitely welcome in the sector. But yeah, I'd like to swing back to the whole realistic thing, because I mean, I love all, all of this innovation and the big dollars and the big names and everything. But for, there's a lot of startups right now that need a real realistic point. Point of view and the chances of them getting attention of Elon Musk or I mean a lot of entrepreneurs right now are very inspired by the Elon Musks of the world like oh I want to be like Elon but the chances of everyone being like Elon is 
you know, rather slim, right? And same with exits. If you if you look at, at, at the statistics, getting bought and having exits is actually a super rare occurrence. You know, maybe that will change in the future, but exits are not common. The chances of, of uh, startups getting acquired by Facebook or any big company is relatively low. So, but you still want to be able to have all the VC funding there to encourage people to still like keep going, right? Like you don't need to get acquired from Facebook. It's great that that, that that happened, but everybody still needs to plug forward, right? Like don't wait for that. Keep keep plugging forward through through your startup. There's gonna there's lots there's gonna be funding, so keep going. So then let's then talk about what are the coolest like what is happening out there that is in your opinion like super cutting edge, like really the coolest innovative thing that you know about right now. Let's start with Yannick. Um, there is no one single thing. I think that uh, obviously I might be biased because I'm I'm just I'm swimming in that world twenty four seven a bit like you. I'm pro enhancement, super excited. So what excites me right now the most is the multimodality with which we're looking at the brain. So we we kind of like all know the fMRI. We all know the MEG machine magnetic uh, with the kind of like a magnetic way of looking at the brain, EEG, which is the electrical way of looking at the brain. But now we see more of the light and sound being used to look at the brain mm -hmm. and the intersection of multimodalities and using light and sound together to modulate one, uh, one another and have more information uh, the brain. The fact that we're now going invasive also with these devices, and for example, neural dust is a good example where it's not yet ready for the brain, but it nerve, we send kind of like small, tiny particle where we uh, power them with sound waves and they echo back uh, some information back. So the fact that we're not thinking outside of the box, but we have way more technology, way more science, mathematics, know-how, knowledge than ever before. I find it really fascinating all the ways at which we're now kind of like considering looking at the brain. Australia are now working and they did the first uh, inhuman uh, trials for their stentrode. So using kind of like the same thing as a, as a stent in blood vessels, but in the brain, in the brain blood vessels where you put a stent and then you have kind of like this, uh, this metal wire in a blood vessel that listen to your brain. Basically you have kind of a, a brain sensor through the blood vessels, which kind of like we've never tried that or think about that before. So I think that all the ways of looking at the brain right now, I find it really exciting that it's kind of like throwing like throwing uh, darts on the wall, like something or like something will stick at the end of the day and we'll, we'll find more ways and more useful way to look at the brain. And I think that the intersection or the multimodality using two or three of these modalities together will yield, will yield a lot of insightful information that we'll be able to, uh, to use. So excited about that. Just kind of like the way of we're outside of the traditional fMRI brain scan and then the EEG and MEG systems. And then obviously we have the, the invasive world, but most of the, the general public knows more about these kind of systems that they see on television and uh, in different hospitals. But uh, yeah, the multimodality is uh, what excites, excites me the most now. So I know that people are going to be rather apprehensive about invasive things, you know, as Yannick and you know, we've discussed this before. If someone wants to insert something into my brain, that's totally cool if it's going to help. But as I was watching this, I was watching Robert Polsky from Stanford yesterday. He was, uh, he, he puts his lectures online and he was talking about a spray that you can kind of spray up the nose or get people to breathe. And it, it you can spray oxytocin that will affect your brain and, and, and your, 
your reactions to things. So I think maybe there's some something in between invasive and non-invasive. So it's kind of is kind of, and that's kind of where I also see like curables and wearables kind of playing. Or it's not quite invasive, but it's not not invasive. Yeah. What about, <laughs> yeah, what about you? Like also, it seems, Bobby, apart, you know, along the same things that you 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 know, Patty, you're talking. So many people now they don't know what they're talking about. You know, about the neural technology. They just learn some buzzword and just you know talk about neural technology without even you know having the clue of what they're talking about so yeah this kind of technology is having the invasive non-invasive these are still science fiction so but what's really happening as Yannick was mentioning is that we have actually we have the emergence of new neural imaging modalities so uh, non-invasive ones especially I'm very interested on in those non-invasive ones uh, and the face of again this uh, this field has radically changed people are coming up with the devices that have uh, have the power to record the data with, I mean as fast as they could have during the last decade so they can write and read data into the brain both impl uh, implantable and non-invasive so so many exciting things happening in AI both in terms of application and pure research uh, which is really very hard to keep up with these days so one thing that I'm really particularly interested in is the research done in uh, uh, called self-supervised learning which actually means tra uh, training computers to uh, do tasks without humans uh, you know training them providing label data there is also and this research uh, the group uh, a very strong group in montreal actually working on that exploring consciousness using machine learning i'm not interested in the uh, uh, interpretation of consciousness in terms of philosophical or neuroscientific matters but in terms of machine learning and according to experts both of which seem to hold the key to human level intelligence then again the, the uh, development of supercomputers quantum computing these are great things that are happening today and this widespread use of robots uh, you know that makes me super happy we have now robots that delivering actually grocery shopping to people's door so ford has developed a bipedal robot postman that deliver packages to people's front door and of course companies who are uh, uh, building self-driving cars and again similar to neurotechnology the private uh, so uh, private investment into space uh, companies so and that's actually is gonna change uh, the future of space exploration so many of us we, we hope that with all this money putting into this space also we would be alive when there would be evidence of life behind them great so in 30 seconds yannick what advice do you have for the neurotech entrepreneurs out there there's so many challenges and exciting problem to work on uh, make sure that you work on something that uh, you deeply believe in that you think you can you can solve or make a contribution to be passionate about what you're doing um, and it's okay to be number two on number three. So there is this Silicon Valley, everybody wants to be CEO or kind of like, it's my company, it's my company. Uh, but joining a group of other very smart people will generally yield do. You'll, you'll go faster and you'll go uh, longer and farther. So don't like, don't be scared, join other people as well with uh, that you fit well and that you want to achieve the same kind of like the same goal and you share similar vision and passion for the field. And yeah, but uh, number one, be passionate uh, about what, what you do. Love it. Naeem, 30 seconds, advice for entrepreneurs. Well, I actually, I want to talk more more general so fall in love with the problem not the technology so we engineers we are really nerdy and 
you know, we are the proof of love at the first sight when it comes to amazing and mind-blowing technology. So fall in love with your problem, not the technology. And then don't try to find problems that are easy to solve and make you a millionaire overnight. Try to solve hardcore engineering challenges. Because if you do so, you always position yourself at the forefront of science and technology on that. Love it. Awesome. So thank you so much, uh, Naeem and Yannick, for taking the time to join us on the launch. Before I let you go, Yannick, where can people find out more? And did you tell me you've got a book coming out? Uh, yeah, about, about NeurotechX, yes. So we do have a book coming out in March. So best way of keeping in touch with NeurotechX and learning more about the field or joining different events that we're having, NeurotechX.com. If you have any question, you can email info at NeurotechX.com or myself, Yannick, at NeurotechX.com. Always love to meet Neurotech uh, enthusiasm at different level of seniority from people that are just curious to people in the field profession researchers always uh, my email is always open to uh, for discussions fantastic and Naeem I understand that you are recruiting so tell people how they can get in touch with you they could actually visit our website aavaa.ca ava.ca and we are always looking for brilliant scientists and engineers coming from different fields from machine learning signal processing neuroscientists material scientists embedded system engineers So we would love to hear from you and work with you. Amazing. So a huge thank you to our listeners. We hope that you find loads of value from our podcast. And if you do, please subscribe and share with your networks. Come follow us on social media, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Let's build the future together with Tandem Launch. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening. We hope you had fun and gained valuable insights. Why don't you subscribe to the Launch Podcast today? You can share the podcast tell a friend, and follow us on social media. If you have a research background in tech and always wanted to build your own startup, then check out our website, www.tandemlaunch.com, and get in touch today.